Welcome to the Living Savior Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for our worship service every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at lsavior.org. Thank you for joining us today. There was a border patrol officer who observed a truck approaching the border. Immediately suspicious, he was already planning on carrying out a painstaking and thorough search of this truck. He was pretty sure he was going to find some kind of contraband. So he searched and searched and searched, and there was nothing. And thus began this process where week after week after week, here came this driver in a truck. Time and again, he would carry out every single searching tactic that was at his disposal. He would try to do things that he had never thought of, try to look places and look in different ways, but time and again, he found nothing. After several years, this Border Patrol officer was getting ready to retire. And this one day came the day handing over his badge, and he was done, and lo and behold, here came that truck. He had kind of had it by this point. He walks over to the guy after he had hung it up, so to speak, and he says, I know you're a smuggler. Don't try to argue it. I've seen you all before. But I'm retiring now, and I promise I can do nothing to you, and I promise I won't say anything. Just tell me. Just just tell me, what have you been smuggling all these years? And the driver said, trucks. <laughs> Sometimes the most dangerous threats are the ones that are hidden in plain sight. Todd Gitlin, a modern-day American sociologist and novelist, writing extensively and commenting as such also on all things politics, media, culture, life in the arts and intellectualism, etc., etc., created that parable to illustrate that point. Broadly speaking, habits and perceptions and perspectives are smuggled into our psyche and impact our worldview. And they do so, so pervasively that they leave no part of our life unaltered or untouched. And I would dare say, so also is included our Christian faith. We look around us and we're sure that the contraband we are going to find is this thing or that thing. And all the while, the big obvious thing goes undetected. The contraband of culture and its critics and so many people who might be killing Christians or might try to squash our voice, whether in media or politics or wherever, those are the real culprits that we're looking after or looking for. And meanwhile, trucks are smuggled into our heads and our hearts, and they impact our Christian faith and the way we view our world in a very massive way. And I wonder if we've even just paused and, and taken notice of this or if we're so blinded that it wouldn't be seen even if we saw it. 
It's so dangerous, in fact, that Jesus speaks most harshly against it, I would argue, more harshly than he speaks in any other part in in Scripture, as we heard in our lesson. It is such a dangerous and most often undetected threat that it goes right against what Jesus said he must do and what he also says you and I as his followers must have, which we also see in our lesson. But it is precisely so that you and I would be able to identify this very pervasive problem that has been smuggled into our psyche and our hearts and our minds. It is so that we would identify it and call that thing for what it is. And also so we would find the purpose and the beauty behind the necessity of Christ's cross and ours that he gives us this lesson from Matthew chapter 16, the gospel lesson that I just read to you before. I invite you to have that open in your worship folders or your Bibles. As you're opening up to that, this picks up right where we left off last week. Peter correctly confesses who Christ is as Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus affirms his answer. And this is true not just for Peter, but this would be the truth upon which Christ would build his church, and it would be storming the gates of hell itself, gates that will not be able to withstand this bedrock confession. And while Peter's answer was quite true, he did not really understand just how right he was, at least to the fullest extent. And Jesus makes very clear just what Peter's confession would ultimately mean in the very first words of our lesson. What does it say? And from that time on, Jesus started to make very clear to his disciples, not that he might suffer, as though it were a potentiality or a probability, not that he will suffer, as though it would be some kind of reality, but that he, what does it say? must suffer, and at the hands of the chief priests and the Pharisees, he would go to Jerusalem, and that he must be killed. You see, this is more than just a probability or potentiality potentiality or some reality. This is a necessity. Jesus would say that he must suffer, and he must die. This is, my friends, fundamental. Just to say it for what it is, this is fundamental to your life, and eternity, and what we understand as Christ and the Christian faith. The whole reason why Christ came was not to build himself a little fiefdom, whereby he would make a whole lot of subjects and servants slaves to him. This was not the purpose, namely, where Jesus would make life comfortable, where he would, because he, he could have, taken clouds and created a pillow for himself that Serta's sleep system would, have, would envy. This was not Jesus' objective, was, would be to flick out Herod from his throne and to take over and make all authorities subject to him in this life. It was not to be popular, more popular than the populars of the day. It was none of those things. It was this thing, to suffer and to die on the cross. And it's not just a necessity in that it had to happen, although that's true, but for him to say that he must suffer and must die also unveils something about the very heart of God, does it not? That he would say, this is something that I so want to do that I have to do it. That he would want to. It's a desire too. Think about what this means. Jesus would give up heaven and perfect peace. He would give up a perfect relationship with his Father and the Holy Spirit. And he would come into this world to be discarded and find no validation among his peers of the day. 
The relationships with those closest to him, they would ditch him when he needed them the most. And then ultimately on the cross, his father would forsake him. And all of that for what? Not because he was seeking approval for himself for a time, not because he was after validation or success as you and I would define it, but so that he would earn validation for you before your Father in heaven. So you would be approved to your God, the judge of all. So you would have the answer that goes beyond this world that is just ruining itself over and over again, further and further. This kind of flies in the face. This kind of mindset flies in the face of our culture, doesn't it? Because that's not the way we generally think about those things when we look at our lives in this world. Usually the way that things go is you don't become a servant or a slave to others. You make sure that you prove yourself to others. You validate yourself based upon your success. You earn friendships and you make sure that you're credible. And in these ways, you're validated and you feel approval based on how others view you and communicate that to you. That's how, that's how we function. It's not to, to push off comfort and pleasure. It's in fact to find those things any and every way we can. So we identify that the, the tenets of our culture and Christ going to the cross are quite opposite, aren't they? So then you kind of understand why Peter said what he said. I mean, what had Peter seen? He, called, he that is Jesus calms the storms. He had seen it twice by now. He feeds them out of nowhere and he casts out demons and he cures diseases. If you and I were there, we would say with Peter, we kind of like this. You kind of telling the Pharisees to shut up and they listen because they have nothing to say. This is kind of nice. These these guys that are a little pompous, they have to be quiet and they're put in their place and you give us food and calm storms and this is great. We should keep this going. And Peter's eyes, as yours and, I, and mine would be, were set on how high they would climb, not on how Jesus would become so low as to subject himself to death on a cross and, and even so violently. He doesn't even just say that he would die, although that would be true. He said he must be killed. How violent. And so Peter, of course, says, Never. This, this doesn't, not, not only does this not follow the, the template that we've seen thus far, Lord, but this does not lead to something that is better, at least as I see it. This is not something that is greater. Never, Lord. This should never happen to you. Because Peter had in mind this, this great lie that had been smuggled into his head and heart, all without his knowing it. Like a giant multi-ton truck. You'd think you'd kind of recognize it. Peter was after the current state of comfort and the places where that might lead. Something that was altogether, certainly he knew, altogether better than and greater than a cross and Jesus being killed and that whole suffering thing. And you know that attitude is not dead with Peter. It is alive and well, and it's not that I am saying that we are looking back as if we could stop something that has already happened in the past history. No, Christ has already died on the cross, but the attitude that Christ's cross is not enough, that there should be something better or more comfortable or greater, is still alive and well. It exists in ways like this. When we look at the cross of Christ as though it's just not enough, 
There's got to be something better out there. And so Christians who know the cross of Christ view it as something that's rudimentary. You know, like for Sunday school children, because we know that already, as if we can really ever stop pondering the depths of it. But to hear about this whole forgiveness of sins and Christ dying and rising on the third day, we need something a little bit more. We need something a little bit greater. Let's just take that as a given, and in so doing, we have bought the lie that the cross of Christ is not enough. As if God in heaven could give us something else. It exists in this way, too where the God of heaven says that he comes to you and sends his spirit through his word, and there the centrality of all of the word, the Old Testament pointing to and the New Testament pointing back to the cross, is the essence of not just scripture, but obviously then our Christian faith. And we look at that as something that we can visit every now and again, instead of being the bedrock of who we are and all that we need in life and eternity. As if there could ever be something more that God could give you than forgiveness for your sins through the cross of Christ. Eternal life through his death and resurrection. And a life of purpose as he's conditioning you under your cross, preparing you for eternity. Friends, we've believed the lie that our culture, just as every culture in history has told, we've believed the lie in our day that to whatever degree, there's something else that is even remotely more significant than the cross. But you know, it was for that very reason that Christ went to it. That he didn't just say that this would be some reality someday, but that he said this is a necessity, a must. It's for that very reason that Jesus would go to the cross and be forsaken by his Father so you would have perfect validation before your Father in heaven. It's for that very reason that he would take your complacency and mine, my laziness and yours, and he would bear that upon himself and God would make him the ultimate sinner so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. It it is for that very reason that Jesus would call Peter's words for what they are, certainly not from God, and so they can only be from one other place. Get out of the way. I have a goal. And Peter, it's also for your eternal good. And he says that to the same attitude that exists inside you and me. But at the cross is where that attitude stays. And just as Jesus was taken down from that cross and left it empty along with the empty tomb, so too we see those attitudes for what they are. That is empty and also paid for and forgiven. That is why Jesus said, I must go suffer. I must go be killed and on the third day be raised to life. But in so teaching and in so doing, Jesus was not just explaining a cross that would be his own, but he was also defining a cross that we would carry in the likeness of his. Look at what he says. Right after rebuking Peter, and the harsh rebuke it is, that's even the same word that that is used when Jesus rebukes demons and then casts them out. Same word. After rebuking Peter so harshly and firmly, what does Jesus say? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself take up his cross, and follow me. You see, God could never give you anything greater than what he has already given you through the cross and the, 
empty tomb of his son. And so now in your life, if you are to follow, literally if any single individual, if you are going to follow Christ, well then that means that if this is what they gave to him, death on a cross, our life is not going to be a cakewalk. And I know that I didn't have to tell you that. I know that existing inside your recent memory, if not long-term also, are circumstances time and again when you felt the heaviness, the weight of the cross because of the persecution of the people around you. You felt the pain of the splinters bearing down upon your life when specifically because you were serving Christ and following his will, you, met, you were met with rejection or distance or obstinance or worse. But so easily we identify these other things as the real problem and we forget the truck-sized issue that has been smuggled into our life. And that is absolutely anything and everything that is comfortably connected to the here and now. Notice where the here and now ultimately gets us. Absolutely everything tied to the here and now can, I don't know, be blown away by a hurricane or three. It can be burned up like, I don't know, a massive fire. It can lead to disappointment so that even when we feel like we found success, the people closest to us let us down, and they will. It can be found in the validation or all the places where we said, this is my identity, this is where I am found, and it only leads us feeling empty as a resort. And this fracture that has caused both nature that is abroad and our own to be separate from God can only be made whole by God fracturing his own relationship with his son. And the only way he could do that is by putting all of our sin on Christ in our place so that we would be not broken for eternity, not fallen, but made whole and made part of his own family. So that's why he says what he says. Deny your, anything that is comfortable in this life. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What good would it, would it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And those questions are obviously rhetorical because they emphasize the truth that what matters is eternity and not the here and now. And so I don't know what that cross is for you, but I know that it's heavy. And I don't know what the cross is for you, but I know that it's splintering and painful upon your broad shoulders. No matter how broad and strong they are, it still hurts. And maybe for some of you, it looks like this. Maybe for the young, you struggle to see anyone around you. Yes, middle schoolers, teenagers, you, you struggle to find anyone around you who could really identify. I mean, they, they don't really understand you. Parents say they've been there, but that was like 100 years ago. And since nobody really understands you, it causes you to say and do things virtually or in reality that you otherwise wouldn't do, but this idea that you want to fit in and find your identity aligned with other people matters to you, and it does, and it matters to them too. It just looks different. It doesn't go away. But it causes you to think things and to worry things and to struggle in ways, and nobody seems to understand you. And so you can follow the line of self-gratification in this world, and you will. And where does that lead? It only lead to people who will disappoint you, 
pleasures that will not last, and an empty feeling in the end. So you can have that, or you can have this identity, where God says, I gave my son and sacrificed him so you would be my child, so everything you've done wrong is paid for, and your identity is wrapped up in me. You do not have to worry about people who don't understand you. I, I do know you because I made you. The world or the true identity of the soul wrapped up in the cross of Christ? It can look like this for the, for the parent. In parents, we find our identity largely in our children. After all, they are an exact representation of us. When they misbehave, it kind of makes us uncomfortable in public because then people think that we're bad parents and such. And yet, the greatest thing that you can do as a parent is simply this. Dads, that your children would know that you are not the greatest father they have. Moms, that your children would know that they have a savior and a helper better than you because he can be there for all the times and in all the ways you can't. It should be as simple as the air we breathe and every heartbeat, and it's also that hard, isn't it? But that is the identity of parents who wrap their character in the cross and not in the validation of how they've raised their children. It can even look like this for the 20, 30, 40, 50-somethings who find their validation and approval in their work and their experience and the successes that they've had in life until those things are no more. And then what? And to that, God says, look at what I have for you. For every failure, I give you peace so that no matter how you suffer, I give you eternity. The world or the soul wrapped up in the cross for even those who are in the later, more experienced years in life. And I don't know if you knew this, but based on my experience, I don't have a lot to tell you about that. But I do have this. I read a book from an old, written by an, a wise old pastor, and he called himself old, so I can call him that too. And he who has been in his self-characterized golden years for a long time said this, that when you get to those years where the indignities of age arise, when you experience the difficulty of not being the, the one who gives care, but the one who receives it, when you realize in many ways, suffice it to say, he says that you are not in control even though all these years you convinced yourself that you were. You can become embittered, and you can become a scorn, and you can cause divisions around the people around you and see where that leads, or you, can, or you can find your identity wrapped in the cross. Where it's never been about your control, it's been about the cross of Christ. Just as it always has been from young to middle to old. Let me give you my own modern parable or own modern analogy from people that I know, several of them. Everything was fine for any number of these individuals. I'll pick out one. Everything was fine for him. The numbers were good, so to speak, health-wise. Cholesterol was fine. Blood pressure was good. Worked out every single day. But like those trucks, sm trucks sm smuggled across the border, he wasn't really caring about the food that he was kind of smuggling into his mouth. Didn't really care about his diet and even though he kind of got some warning signs from his doctor, there was nothing really all that urgent until one day he had a heart attack. And you know, something happened. Everything. 
quite clearly, absolutely everything changed because once the heart, literally and proverbially, of his life was impacted, it changed absolutely everything about him. Now he is healthier than ever because he's cautious of what so easily was the overlooked issue in his life that had a negative impact on him. My friends, I don't know what the specific truck is that is smuggled into your heart and into your mind, but I do know this. It's connected to comfort in this world somehow. It's connected to some type of pleasure, some type of approval, some type of validation, and that is always and only going to be temporary, no matter what that is, whether it's your job, your relationships, your success, your bank account, your health, what have you. It doesn't matter. It's only temporary. And what God would have you see is just how at the heart of who you really are is Christ's cross and your own. And when you realize what you receive from the cross of Christ, that is everything, eternally, then it makes the cross that you carry all the more worth it. May God grant you such perception to identify the real serious threats in your life that are always connected to some kind of comfort in this life so that by it you would deny yourself, you would take up your cross that follows in the likeness of his and in so doing, you would long for the day when there's no more cross, no more pain, there's only a crown. May God grant that to you all. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our sermon webcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Kerbis. To discuss today's sermon or to discover more about our ministry, visit our website at lsavior.org. Thank you again for joining us and may God bless your day.